2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you'll turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We know the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and so as we pray, let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. Father, we come before you, and we do welcome the Holy Spirit here in our midst. Holy Spirit, you're the one who teaches us and instructs us. You know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you for the opportunity to get right with you, for you to expose things in our hearts and our lives where there needs to be repentance. God, we pray for that godly sorrow over sin in our lives, that we wouldn't justify it or make excuses for it, but really be broken before you. So God, would you have your way in our time together? In Jesus' name, amen. How many times do you hear a message on sorrow? Not very often. This message is, is probably not one that's going to get a lot of likes or a lot of hits and a lot of views necessarily because it's not a feel-good type of, of message. It is on sorrow and specifically godly sorrow. And you would think that those two words wouldn't go together, that it wouldn't be godly to sorrow. But when it comes to the area of sin in our lives, we're going to find in this chapter that God wants us to have a godly sorrow over sin. And when godly sorrow enters into our lives, it brings about repentance. It brings about change. The world feels sorry for their sin as well. When we were unbelievers, we felt sorry for our sin. We're sorry for the consequences. We're sorry that we got caught. But a lot of times that sorrow doesn't bring about any change. But godly sorrow when we're convicted before the Lord, brings about change. It brings about repentance. Repentance means change of mind, and it means change of direction. So we may be headed in a particular direction this evening where the Holy Spirit's going to convict us and bring us to a place of confession and repentance. But it's also beautiful. It's heavy, but it's beautiful. How many times have we had the Holy Spirit hounding us the way that only he can. When we heed the voice of the Holy Spirit and confess our sin to the Father and share with a brother or sister in Christ and receive prayer and the weight of sin is lifted from us, we're no longer hiding. We're no longer playing games. No longer in a place of duplicity and God's restoration flows into our lives. His forgiveness flows into our lives. So let's begin in verse one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. These promises bring us back to chapter six, and all of the promises have to do with our relationship with God and his relationship with us, that we're his people, that he's our God, that we're his children, he's our father, that we're his temple, we're the temple of the living God. If we don't understand this call to holiness is inside of relationship, we've missed the entire picture. This is not God being heavy-handed with us. This is God being gracious to us. This is God saving us from our sins, forgiving us of our sins, wanting us to be as close to him as possible. That's the perspective. Having these promises and being loved. We're loved. I want you to know you're loved. You're loved by God. 
the person that matters the most, and he's proven his love to you by giving his son for you. We're loved. So then we respond by cleansing ourselves, here's a big word, from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. All of it. There's not any portion of sin or filthiness that God wants us to hold on to. God doesn't want us to have this perspective of, well, I'm better than I used to be in this area. Or I'm doing better than somebody else that I know. But if we know in our hearts, man, this pride, this this lust, this this anger, this disobedience, it's there. It's it's present in my heart. It's, It's present in my life. Then I need to cleanse myself from this filthiness. And it's a bit surprising because we don't like this personal ownership that we have the opportunity to cleanse ourselves from filthiness. We want to be in a place where we're the victim, where it's somebody else's fault. This sin is a result of my parents. This is a sin is a result of COVID. Man, it's been such a hard year. I can hold on to this sin over here. If it wasn't for quarantine, I wouldn't be sinning. God, you can't hold me accountable for this because COVID has been so hard and it's been so difficult. And we also want some room in our lives to go, there's nowhere out. There's no way out from lust. There's, there's no way out from sexual sin. There's no way out from, from anger. I'm destined to stay on this track of sin. But God tells us differently, doesn't he? That we've been crucified with Christ that we're buried with Christ, we're risen in newness of life, that we can choose to confess our sin to God. And as we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from from all unrighteousness. Christ has provided the answer. He is the answer, but it's up to us if we choose to press into him, if we choose to respond in confession, if we choose to respond in, in repentance. But if we do, then the cleansing takes place. But there's some personal ownership with sin. Yeah, I've chosen it. Not anybody else, I've chosen it. And there is a way out. Jesus is the way out. I can confess my sin to him and receive forgiveness from him and receive a fresh start from him. The gospel is all about fresh starts and new beginnings, amen? Tonight, we can have the opportunity for a fresh start and a new beginning. The scripture tells us that the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. So the flesh is our actions. And that type of sin is easiest to see and we tend to focus on it the most. But also there's the filthiness in our spirit. And Jesus warned the Pharisees that were really good about cleaning up the exterior but holding on to sin in their hearts. So look at our actions but also Look at what's taking place in our spirit. And Jesus, he instructed us, if we lust in our hearts, we've committed adultery. If we call someone a fool, we've committed murder. Well, what's going on in our spirit? I think of our spirit almost like a treadmill. When you're on that treadmill and you're jogging, you're, you're running, well, well, what's the narrative of your soul? What's the narrative of my spirit? And God sees the spirit and he knows exactly what's taking place in our spirit. Is it it one of grumbling and complaining? Is it one of bitterness? I can't believe this person 
hurt me? Or is it one of gratitude? God, I'm so thankful. You've been so gracious to me. I'm your son. I'm, I'm your daughter. Thank you for eternal life. Is the condition of our spirit, the narrative of our spirit, one of covetousness? And I, I've got to have more. It's amazing how we're being marketed. Facebook marketplace is genius, right? Craigslist is a thing of the past. Now it's Facebook marketplace. And Facebook marketplace knows that I like Chevy trucks, right? So I open it up and it's like, here's your picks of the day. It's doing the research for me and showing me all these old trucks that are better than my old truck, right? At least I think so, that I, I've got to have. And, and before you know it, you're just being marketed on all this stuff that's particular to your likes and, and your interests. And before long, our lives can be fulfilled with covetousness instead of contentment in Christ. So allow the Holy Spirit to search us. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to know us. What is the filthiness in, in the flesh and the spirit that we can confess to the Lord, that we can receive forgiveness from the Lord? David found himself in a comfortable spot, King David. He'd gone through a lot of challenges in his life. Saul was trying to kill him, but now he's king. Things are so comfortable for him that he doesn't have to go out and fight the war anymore in the battle. He's got a general. He's got a staff. He can send Joab to go and do the fighting. He's able to hang out at home. He's able to sleep in and get out on the deck and get out on the patio. And there he sees Bathsheba and he lusts after her and he calls for her and commits adultery. That sin of adultery, it, it started long before. It was festering in David's spirit. The Holy Spirit must have been convicting him because he knew it was wrong to the point where he calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, home from battle so that Uriah would spend time with his wife. So people would think Bathsheba's pregnancy was a result of a relationship with her husband, not a relationship with David. I believe Uriah was on to something because he wouldn't sleep with his wife. He may have sensed and known something wrong has, has taken place. David tries to cover his tracks even more and has Uriah killed in battle, orders Joab to kill Uriah. Now he's committed adultery, he's committed murder, but life continues. He marries Bathsheba. I got away with this one. I'm the king. Sure is nice to be king. When you're king, you can do whatever you want. But he's accountable to God. And God sees and God knows. God speaks to Nathan the prophet and says, I want you to go to David and tell David this story. There's a rich man in the kingdom that had plenty of cattle. The neighbor has just one lamb and this lamb is like a pet to the family. Lives with the family. The rich man has a guest that comes over and instead of getting one of his own lambs, he goes and steals from his neighbor. 
What do you think we should do about this? And David gets so upset and he's so angry. And it's, that man, he needs to be killed for this. He wanted to give a judgment to the rich man that he was even more than the law. The law required that you would make things right and restitution and pay back four or five times, but that's not what David wanted. And in that moment, Nathan the prophet looks at King David and says, you are that man. You're the man. You're the rich man in that story. Well, who told Nathan? Who told Nathan? God. God revealed it to Nathan. And see, God knows our sin. He knows the pornography. He knows the adultery. He knows the pride. We might think we're getting away with it. We might think, hey, I can come into church. I can watch online. Nobody knows. Nobody sees. This has been going on for years. My spouse doesn't know. My accountability partner doesn't know. I'm able to play it off. But God knows. And there's nothing hidden. And in his love for us, he's going to expose our sin. And God asks Nathan, or excuse me, David, a question through Nathan and says, what I gave to you, was it not enough? All you had to do was ask for more. David, the kingdom, the blessings, the prosperity, was it not enough? All you had to do was ask. God wants to cleanse us. He wants us to be broken before him. It's gonna be exposed. It's better for us to humble ourselves. The end of verse one tells us perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Growing in holiness in the fear of the Lord. The reason that we wanna deal with sin in our lives and keep short accounts is out of respect for God and fear of his love for us and our relationship with him and saying, Lord, I wanna grow in holiness. I wanna grow in closeness in my relationship with you. Verse two, open your hearts to us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. Paul is still beating this drum of please, would you trust us once again? Would you trust our, our leadership? I do not say this to condemn you, for I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul's heart is to build up and not condemn. And please hear that tonight. God's not condemning you. If God is convicting you of sin tonight, it's evidence that you're his child. God doesn't want to beat you down. He wants to build you up. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's a good thing in our lives. In verse four, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Paul keeps referring to this time when they were in Macedonia, a time of great persecution. It says, when we were in Macedonia, our bodies were literally wore out from the work and the effort. We, we had no rest. Everywhere they went, they're troubled. They went to the right, they're troubled. They went to the left, they're troubled. Every side, they're troubled. And outside were conflicts, but inside were fears. At least right now, 
This may change at some other point in my life. 2 Corinthians is my favorite of Paul's writings. I like his writings. They're great. But why 2 Corinthians stands out to me is Paul shares the most of his own struggles with us. And I appreciate that about Paul. Paul was hugely intellectual and a great orator and a deep theologian. And he could have chosen to not reveal his heart, but he reveals his heart. And he says, guys, I had so much conflict that inside there were fears that were taking place in my heart and in my life. If Paul wrestled through fear, we too are going to wrestle through fear. When we get to that place when we're fearful, it's important to work through the fear. It's important for fear to not get the best of us. Fear can torment and fear can paralyze us. And in Psalms 34, verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. King David is seeking God in the area of his fears. Are there things that 2020 has exposed in your heart and your life that reveal fear? Man, I, I realize that I'm afraid of, of this. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm, a, I'm afraid of isolation. I'm afraid about what the government can do. I've realized the government had a lot more power than I realized prior to this. What is it? Maybe there's other trials in our lives that have revealed fear. Don't let fear take hold, but then seek the Lord on that fear and allow the Lord to deliver you from fear, deliver me from fear, because perfect love casts out fear. God's love can be the driving force instead of fear. And Paul was in that place of fear as well. In verse six, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So Paul says, not only was I fearful, but I was downcast. And one of the reasons that Paul was downcast is because he didn't know where Titus was. He expected to see Titus. In chapter two, verse 13, Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of him, I departed for Macedonia. Titus didn't show, and he's worried about Titus. And Paul gives us one of the attributes of God here in verse 6, that God's the comforter, that he comforts those who are downcast. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. So the fear, the discouragement, gives us an opportunity to know God as our comforter to know God as our refuge and God being the one who is our security. Also in Psalms 34, this time in verse 18, it says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Notice Paul's encouragement came from Titus. When Titus came, he was encouraged and he was refreshed. This shows the humility of the Apostle Paul because Titus was someone that Paul discipled, that Paul mentored. It'd be easy for Paul to overlook Titus and say, well, I need Billy Graham to come and spend time with me. Then I'd be encouraged. I need Peter. You know, if Peter would come, then I would be encouraged. I need John. But Titus? God's gonna refresh me through Titus? Church, 
don't miss your Titus. God's going to bring refreshment many times through the body, through other believers from an area that you might not expect. And many times God's going to use somebody that you've poured into, that you have ministered to them, and now it's time to be on the receiving end. In verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. This huge weight that's lifted off of Paul, Titus comes and shares, hey Paul, the church of Corinth is good with you. The church of Corinth doesn't have hard feelings towards you. They understood why you confronted them and challenged them and they appreciated it. And Paul's like, wow, okay. My relationship with this church is still intact and Titus brought that good news to to Paul. Verse eight, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Paul says, I don't regret that I had hard things to write to you. And I don't regret the fact that it caused some pain in your life. Sometimes as parents, we know this and we love our kids enough to bring the heat, bring love, bring consequence. And it's painful. And there's a part of us that really regrets having to bring that pain and bring that consequence But then there's another part of us that loves them and knows that this is an important part of of learning. So we've got to go through this process with them. And our parents did this for us. And now it's our turn. And Paul realizes that as a spiritual father. I didn't really want to bring the heat, but I don't regret bringing the heat. This gives us the lesson that it's important to speak the truth to one another, even when it hurts. We all need it. The Church of Corinth needed it. And to be able to be on the receiving end and at times love somebody enough to have the courage to tell them what hurts, to tell them the truth because we care for them. It's much more loving to bring the truth than to simply turn a blind eye. In verse nine, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. It says you had sorrow in a godly manner over your sin. And this causes us to wrestle and ask this question, do I know what godly sorrow is like? When I'm in a place of sin and God confronts me with his truth and through the Holy Spirit and brings another believer along in that process, Do I mourn in a godly way that brings about repentance and it brings about change? And here's the key verse in verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. We see this played out, the sorrow of the world and godly sorrow in Peter and Judas, both disciples Both spent every day walking with Jesus for three years and and both blow it in a big way. Peter denies the Lord, says that he never knew the Lord to the point that he's cursing about it. Judas, he betrays Jesus 
for money, for 30 pieces of silver, leads the accusers of Christ right to Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, knew that Christ would be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went to the cross for Judas and for Peter, both. Jesus died for sin. Peter is in a place where he exhibits godly sorrow. Jesus comes to him while he's fishing on the Sea of Galilee. When Peter realizes it's the Lord, he doesn't wait to row his boat in. He jumps in and he swims to the shore. That's how desperate he was to see his risen Savior. And Jesus asks this very tough question to Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, what are the these? Could Jesus be pointing to the fish? The breakfast that he had prepared, Peter had gone back to fishing. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than fishing that I've called you out of? He may have been pointing to the disciples, the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Because Peter said, even if they deny you, I will never deny you. But Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And Jesus uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? And Peter is now humbled and he responds, I phileo you, which we translate into the English word love as well, but they're, they're different words in the Greek. And Peter's really saying, Lord, I like you. Jesus is like, do you agape me? Do you love me? Well, I, I like you. And then he asks again, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, well, Lord, I phileo you. And then Jesus asks a third time. But this time he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you even like me, Peter? And the third time is significant because Peter had denied the Lord three times. And on that third time, Peter breaks. And he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. This is where I'm at. I genuinely phileo you, but I can't say that I agape you. I I've been humbled. And there's this godly sorrow that's in Peter's life that caused him to turn to Jesus, not away from Jesus. And I picture Jesus with a big smile saying, Peter, I want you to go take care of my sheep. You just got ordained to be a pastor, buddy. Right now, I'm commissioning you to be the first pastor of the first church. Really me? The one who denied you? Yeah, Peter, you. I use the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. It was repentance that led him back to Christ, that led to salvation, that led to, to freedom. Well, Judas, in his sin, he felt sorrow as well. Can you imagine being Jesus, Judas? Man, I spent every day with him. I got my eyes on the money. I chose to betray Christ. The shame, the guilt, and the sorrow of that but Judas doesn't turn back to Jesus. He doesn't go to Jesus. He doesn't run to Jesus with his sorrow. Instead, he hangs himself. He commits suicide. And worldly sorrow will bring to death. We feel regret. We bring shame, remorse. I can't believe I've done this again. But it doesn't lead us back to Jesus. The difference with godly sorrow is we feel the weight of our sin 
But then we choose to turn away from our sin and we turn to Jesus. We run to Christ instead of running away from Christ. So let's say the issue is pride. Instead of hiding it and feeling bad about it and continuing in it, we bring that pride to the Lord and we confess it to him. Lord, here I am and I confess that pride to you. Maybe it is lust. It's sexual sin. Instead of that weight and feeling that sorrow that leads to death, bring it to the Lord. Church, please hear me in this. The world's trying to drown their sin and the pain that comes from sin. The abuse of alcohol, it's drowning that pain from sin. The gross abuse of marijuana, depressant. A lot of times people are smoking marijuana because they're trying to deal with the regret of sin. It's too, too hard to deal with the pain of sin, so I'm gonna numb that. Why do we overwork? It's important, the Bible teaches us to work hard, but the Bible also tells us to rest. Take one day off a week. Why do we overwork? Why do we commit all of our time to work? Because we're drowning the conviction that we feel over sin and we say, well, I'm just gonna continue to work. I'm gonna try to, to work the, the conviction away. And it just leads to more death. It leads to, to more sin. You wake up from that hangover and the guilt and the shame is, is still there. And there's a better way for us as believers. It's repentance that leads to salvation. Not, not salvation in the sense that you weren't saved, that you weren't the child of God, but freedom, freedom from sin. As I'm wrestling with sin, I go through this process where the Spirit of God is convicting me. And hopefully over time, I heed that conviction of the Holy Spirit, but usually it's a bit of a wrestling match. And I don't wanna humble myself before the Lord. And I don't wanna agree with God that he's right on this one. And always for me, I can evaluate my degree of repentance if I'm willing to let someone in on the reality of my sin. If I'm willing to go to Amber, who, awesome wife, great sister in the Lord, completely understanding, if, if I go to her and share with her my sin and allow her to pray for me, I'm usually pretty serious about getting right with the Lord. But if I go, nah, I don't really need to tell her. I don't need to go through that humiliation to share with her what is going on in my heart, in my life. I got this. I got this under, under control. Then guess what? I'm not at a place of godly sorrow. I'm not really ready for there to be breakthrough in my life. God's blessed me with a group of men on Friday mornings that we're able to meet and be brothers in Christ together. And when I get together with them on Fridays, I'm not Pastor Eric. I'm just a brother in Christ, right? And the Holy Spirit's always saying, use those bros, use those guys. You need to share with them. You need to be honest with them about what's going on in your heart. Nah, I don't need to do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen and pray for them this Friday morning. Well, I'm not at a place of repentance then. I'm still wanting to stay in, in my sin. When I really mean business, then I take 
advantage of the group of guys. Say, guys, this is a reality of, of what's going on in my heart. And James chapter five says, confess our faults to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. When we take God up on his promise, God does great work in our lives to allow other believers in, to allow other believers in, to shed light into the sin. But as long as we're isolated, then it's the enemy's playground. But when we let God in and we let a brother or sister in Christ in, when there's that confession and repentance, man, it brings salvation. It brings freedom. It brings liberation. It's trash day for the soul, right? You guys got trash day at your house? It's a glorious day. It's Wednesdays at our house, Wednesday morning. I pulled out of the driveway this Wednesday, no joke, and I realized I hadn't taken all the trash out and hadn't wheeled the trash can out to the curb. And I got about a half mile from the house and called Amber. I was like, can you take the trash out? I forgot. Because what happens if you miss a week? It's bad doo-doo, right? It's no good. Because then you got trash piling up for, for two weeks and it really starts to stink and it really starts to smell. And it's always kind of nice to just see that trash go on Wednesday morning on trash day. Especially in the summer when it's hot and the garage is hot and you're going out to your minivan in the garage and you're like, man, the trash smells. It really stinks. We got to get it out of here. We need to take advantage of the freedom that God can bring when we let him get the trash out of our soul. When we confess and we agree with God and he cleanses us and we repent and we turn from sin. But godly sorrow is going to produce repentance that's gonna lead to salvation. Verse 11, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence is produced in you, what cleaning of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all things you proved yourselves to be clean in this manner. Godly sorrow leading to repentance was visibly seen in their lives. It was visibly seen in the church. John the Baptist talked about the fruits of repentance. When there's repentance that takes place in our life, it's seen. Not perfection, but it's seen. Others around us can go, man, I can see godly sorrow in their life over anger. I can see godly sorrow in their life over lust. I, I see this change that's taking place. They're, they're turning away from sin and they're turning to God. But you know what? It's also seen when we're playing games. It's also seen when we're just saying the words, when we're just going through the motions, when we're still justifying the sin and godly sorrow really hasn't hit into our hearts and our lives. Verse 12, therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God may appear to you. Paul's saying the reason that I confronted was for your benefit. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, 
even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. So church, how about it? How about it? To cleanse ourselves from filthiness in the spirit and in the flesh, to have godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The promise of Christ's death and resurrection, the gospel, is that he has the power to be able to change us. The power of sin has has been broken. I have harped on confession and repentance because God does want us to agree with him and God wants us to turn away from sin, but only he can cleanse It's the power of the blood of Jesus that's able to cleanse us from our sins, to clear our account with God, where there's nothing standing in the way of our relationship with the Lord. We turn away from the sin, but then he gives us the power to be able to live differently. But don't allow ourselves to fall into the habit of saying, well, I've gone down this road before, I've confessed and repented of sin, then I've fallen into it, and I've confessed and repented of sin, and then I've fallen into it, so I'm just tired of trying. I'm tired of confessing and repenting. We really get in a dangerous place where we stop being convicted about sin, and we stop confessing, and we stop repenting, and we accept defeat, and we just say, well, this is gonna be my existence as a Christian. I'm gonna always walk in lust. I'm gonna always be an angry person. I'm always going to, to be bitter. There's, there's no victory that can be had for me in Christ. Because each time that we confess before God and we pr- repent and we reach out to a brother and sister in Christ and ask them to pray for us, something's happening in our lives. And there is breakthrough that, that's taking place. But if we stop dealing with it and we stop being convicted and we're simply in the place of accepting defeat, then there's no victory that's coming in our lives. As I was preparing this message, I just sensed from the Lord that there's a great cleansing that God wants to do in our lives. And it's painful and it's difficult and it's hard to sit before the Holy Spirit and to sit before the Lord, but the end result is tremendous freedom. Tremendous freedom. So as we sing this last song, let's go before the Lord. And as we go home tonight, let's go before the Lord. Say, Lord, where's the filthiness in my flesh and my spirit? Where maybe have I adapted a adopted an attitude that doesn't glorify you? Where is it in my actions where sin is revealed? I'm gonna stop making excuses. Lord, it has been a hard year, but that's no excuse for sin. Lord, I I did grow up in a difficult family, but I know ultimately I'm responsible for my sin. And Lord, here it is. I agree with you, this anger is wrong.
this lust is wrong. This, this pride is wrong. And then I would encourage you to take it to the next step and go to that trusted brother or sister in Christ and open up and say, hey, this is the reality of the sin in my life and would you pray for me? And trust the promise of God as we confess our sin to one another and, and pray for one another that we'll be healed, that God will do a great work in and through our lives. Satan wants us to keep this sin a secret. It's a facade, it's, it's not a secret. But he's wanting us to clam up and go, oh, I'm not gonna open up before the Lord. I'm not gonna open up before a brother or sister in Christ. And that's really keeping the sin in darkness. It's not putting it in the light and it's only gonna get worse. But when we put it into the light and we ask God for forgiveness and to be able to receive prayer from our brother or sister in Christ, that's where God can do his work. He lives in the light. He's a God of truth. And as we acknowledge truth, then freedom is brought into our lives. I know it's difficult to ask for our brother or sister in Christ to pray with us, but every one of us have had to open up and ask for prayer in regards to sin. Because the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all share this sin condition. So let's not be shocked or surprised and humble ourselves to be able to receive prayer. Would you stand with me and let's move into a time of prayer, into a time of waiting upon the Lord. Father, would you search us? Would you know us? Would you, would you speak to us? Would you reveal that filthiness of the flesh and the spirit? And as you do, we do pray for godly sorrow that would lead to repentance and freedom and salvation. We don't want to hide. We don't want to justify. We want to come to you with open arms and to receive your forgiveness afresh. So Lord, as we wait upon you, would you do your work in our hearts and our lives?